Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. I am your host, Al D, and the author of MBA Insider. This podcast is for career-driven professionals looking for advice on how to grow their careers by leveraging the skills, experiences, and knowledge gained from an MBA degree. In each episode, I'll give you a look into the business school experience, along with practical tips, career advice, and real-life stories to help professionals grow their careers. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. My name is Al D. I'm the host of the MBA Insider Podcast and the founder of MBAschool.com. Today, I'm excited because I have with me Petia Whitmore, who is the founder of MBA Path. Petia is one of the most knowledgeable experts in the field of MBA admissions, which is why I'm excited to have her today to talk a little bit about what she is seeing so far in the 2020-2021 MBA admissions and application cycle. It's an exciting year to apply to business school, and Petia is going to share a little bit about what she is currently seeing in terms of uh, all the interactions and engagement she's having either with students, with admissions directors, and other folks in the ecosystem, and maybe also share a little bit about MBA Path as well. Let's jump right in. Petia, first off, thank you so much for joining me today. To start, just tell us a little bit about yourself. I know you've worked in this industry for many years, but for those listening out there, share a little bit more about yourself. Of course. First of all, thank you so much, Al, for the invitation to be on your podcast. I have been following your work for a couple of months now since we first connected, and I am absolutely thrilled to be your guest. Thank you. So a little bit about myself. My name is Petia Whitmore, and I tend to describe myself as a higher education executive turned entrepreneur. I was born and raised in Bulgaria, and I moved to the United States 20 years ago and discovered my passion for education and have spent the last nearly 15 years touching graduate management education in some way. First, as an MBA student myself, when I pursued my graduate business degree at Babson College and where I first got irretrievably bitten by the entrepreneurial bug, uh, and I'm really glad that happened. Then as I was graduating with my MBA from Babson, I got a great job opportunity to actually work for my alma mater in the graduate academic services division and to manage the delivery of the MBA program that I was graduating from. And I had so much enthusiasm for supporting the students, helping them be successful, that it didn't really feel like a job. My focus at the time was on the part-time MBA students, the working professionals, and I worked to ensure that they still take full advantage of the resources that schools make available to them. I did a lot of academic advising, but also a lot of community building, And a couple of years later, we got a new dean, and he felt that this passion that I had for the student experience and my background coming from the corporate world and having done marketing and business development, he felt that was a really good fit for the admissions office. And I was promoted and joined the admissions team. And then they just kept promoting me, and I eventually became the dean of MBA admissions at Babson. And I was managing a team of 17 admissions and recruiting professionals, and a big part of our job was traveling the world to meet with members of the next MBA class. So it was a truly marvelous eight years doing that, and we brought so many talented and diverse MBA classes to the school and launched new programs, spearheaded a lot of fun innovations in the admissions experience itself, because I was and continue to be 
absolutely obsessed with creating an outstanding candidate experience. And that was actually one of the differentiators for Babson back in the day. Eventually, I wasn't really ready to fully commit to always staying in higher education and saying goodbye to the corporate world. So in 2017, I was recruited by the largest higher ed consulting firm in the United States, the Education Advisory Board. And I spent a couple of years launching their arm focused on graduate business schools. So my work was traveling and visiting college campuses and speaking with the senior leadership of colleges and universities about ways for them to elevate their enrollment marketing efforts. As I was happily immersed in that, I learned that the Graduate Management Admission Council had acquired a company called the MBA Tour, one that's very familiar to many um, candidates and to all business schools. And as a result of that acquisition, they were looking for the new chief executive to lead the MBA Tour. And I knew immediately that's a phenomenal opportunity for me to lead an entire business and to also work exclusively with MBA candidates and with the world's um, leading business schools. It was really a dream come true in every way. So I went after it and got it. In my first year, I traveled to probably 40 cities across four continents as the team and I ran events where prospective students met with schools and got to know and evaluate each other. And in my second year, last year, COVID hit. And we were in the middle of executing our spring events, and we were doing really great. We um, had substantially increased registrations, attendance. The schools were really loving the event innovations that we're bringing um, to life. But then all of this came to a stop in mid-March. We were executing our spring events and knew quite quickly that there won't be any in-person events for a while, for quite a long while. And we had no virtual platform, so we had to build one from scratch, and we had to do it in three months. And I will have to say, I've never felt like I was managing a startup more than during those several months, but we did it. We were successful, and we still were able to execute 43 events and connect literally thousands of prospective students with schools during a year where that connection was particularly relevant and needed because with all the changes that were happening last year, the Candidates really wanted to hear um, directly from the schools. And then at the end of last year, I made the decision to launch my own venture. And I know that we'll talk about this maybe a little bit later. I'll just add that on a personal note, aside from my passion for graduate management education, I love to travel. I have been to something like 50 countries, and I've been very fortunate that my work has actually enabled that habit of mine. I'm a huge proponent of immersive and experiential travel. And that's probably what I miss most right now. But let's hope later this year, we can do more of it. Let's hope indeed. Thank you for sharing a little bit about yourself. So let's let's talk about the MBA application and admission season. So it's the 2020-2021 season. We're shooting this sometime in January of 2021. Just from your perspective, what do you think current um, MBA applicants need to know right now, particularly about this application season? Yeah, a big and important question. I guess we can start with what is the defining trend that has impacted everyone in the MBA space this year. So this year so far has shaped up to be one of the most competitive years in recent history with a substantial increase in applications to the top tier schools of MBA programs, um, especially in the United States, but also in Europe. 
And to a degree, this was to be expected because for at least a couple of decades, the demand for graduate management education, uh, and especially for full-time MBA programs, has been counter-cyclical to the economy. During recessions, when young professionals lose their jobs or don't get that promotion, a number of them turn to business school as a way to retool, to level up, to ride out the recession. So this tendency has repeated itself in this most recent application cycle. One big change that has also contributed to the increase is that due to COVID and the closure of test centers, many schools are going test optional. They're removing a barrier on the way to business school. And this sounds great on the surface, but has also created a certain level of anxiety among candidates because they worry uh, if they choose not to take the test, what would that signal to the admissions committee how it will impact their candidacy? And then another wrinkle in all of this is that the application surge is more heavily skewed towards the very top tiers of MBA programs. So this could be um, construed as really challenging news for the candidates who are aiming for these schools because not only is there more competition in general, but that competition is more concentrated at the top where MBA admission is already so hard and so selective. And of course, this has implications not simply on your admissions odds, but also on your chances of getting a scholarship. And that's a big part of the equation because we all know that the price tag, a really um, great MBA program, is not insignificant. And the hope for scholarships is something that matters to a lot of candidates. And finally, there's still a lot of uncertainty about when and to what degree in-person teaching will resume. And quite frankly, I think that... I doubt that any school is in a position to truly know for certain how things are going to evolve over the course of this year. So this is all still playing out and it will continue to be a big topic on everyone's mind. Thank you for sharing that. And I think you're right. And as a corollary to that, I think that on the other side of the house, in terms of the career side for MBA students, the most of the career directors that I talk to and, and hiring managers that I talk to, they're still also trying to figure out, you know, particularly for things like summer internships and the like, what that is going to be like. And it doesn't sound like yet that there's much hope, at least this summer, for things to be back in person and things will look like they did last year. So it, it definitely, what you're suggesting definitely mirrors the other side of the house and what they're seeing over there. I want to also just maybe ask you about, I guess, would love to know just for this application season, what surprised you? And then perhaps what's been consistent with what you thought would happen when we started off this application season? I, I feel like it's going to be easier to tell you what has surprised me than what mm-hmm. has been consistent sure. because it's been a year, no other really. But I'll actually start with, with what I said previously. I know that it's been the mantra of graduate management education for decades that during economic downturns, applications to full-time MBA programs surge. But I will be honest, in the last couple of years, as we were all jokingly talking about what's going to happen when a recession inevitably hits, not that anyone could have predicted the reasons for what's happening right now. I was someone, as we were speculating back in the day, saying, oh, I think that the next recession is going to be the one when that trend of a boom for graduate um, business schools and specifically for full-time programs is not going to materialize. Next time, it's not going to happen. And obviously, I was wrong, although it's still a little bit early to know to what degree I was uh, wrong, but the surge did still happen. 
we don't know how it's going to play out across the entire application cycle, across the different tiers of schools, and what will be the cumulative impact. I'm willing to venture a guess that when the dust settles, MBA applications in the aggregate across all schools might not increase as much as the buzz that we're hearing in um, the media currently. But let me maybe tell you why I was surprised, because the fact that I was wrong is probably not the most interesting part. In the end, it's more important sort of why I was making this prediction, because it wasn't based simply on me trying to be contrarian. But for a decade, and especially during the last few years, as we know, applications to business schools have been consistently declining. And I don't believe that this was simply because we were enjoying a really strong economy. I feel that in the last five to 10 years, supported by technology, product substitutes the ability of candidates to get their education in something that's different than a degree, than a graduate degree, has really increased. We've seen some really um, great certificate programs. We've seen some small opportunities to, to take like a just-in-time class consume knowledge in some way to level up when you need it without having to plan in advance, put your actual career on pause for a while. And one development in that field that I've been watching with huge fascination for quite a few years was when Harvard launched their digital arm, HPX, which grew substantially. And then a couple of years ago, they made a bet and uh, rebranded HPX as Harvard Business School Online. And all of a sudden, there was this opportunity for candidates to take a class at what some might argue is one of the best or the best business school in the world without having to enroll in a degree in a much easier way and reap substantial benefits. When they made the announcement two years ago, they led with some really substantial career benefits that their students who were taking the courses were reaping. So all of this, I guess, led me to believe that this recession was going to be different. But I think I underestimated how enduring the allure of what an MBA program signals is both from a candidate and from an employer perspective. And don't get me wrong, I'm a huge proponent of the value of the MBA degree. I clearly, I've drunk the Kool-Aid liberally and voluntarily, and I've seen what my MBA did for my career, and I've seen so many careers touched by it. So it's not like I didn't believe in the uh, value of it. I just thought that more young professionals might go down the road of substitutes. So yeah, that's probably what has surprised me the most, but I'm still watching the admission cycle unfold to see how it shapes up as a whole. Thank you for sharing that. And I think one of the things, I know this falls a little bit outside the realm of MBA admissions, but I think it's important to note, one of the other trends that's happening in alignment with this is just the explosion in online education and learning and development that straddles both higher education, as well as traditional kind of learning and development curriculum or software, et cetera. And I think what's happening also to the point that you made, so on one side of the equation, you see something like HBX and an online delivery from a very renowned institution with a great brand. But on the other side of things, there's always been things like MOOCs, right? And the Coursera's and the Udemy's uh, of the world. But there's also more, just more and more learning options that are out there, more and more pathways t- for people to upskill, to reskill into other fields. And this notion of upskilling and reskilling, you can do that through an MBA. You certainly can. You can do that through some of these other uh, pathways. 
but with more options, I think perhaps, and I'll make a postulation on this here is that, yes, there are potentially, I think what is happening is that because of the economy, there are more people in some pockets who are going for MBAs. But I think the other trend that's in alignment with that is just there are more options as well. And so somewhere the math is smoothing, if you will, because when they when things like these happen, yes, people go back for education, but we're continuing to evolve what we describe as education for careers. And with just more technology and more options, I think it just is different. And like one example I have just at more so at the college level, but you're starting to see it at the graduate level too. So you can now take, there's a startup called Outlier, and they basically have democratized calculus. If you think about calculus in college, it's a three credit class, four credit class cost. If you do the tuition and math on it, it's probably thousands of dollars. I think they're offering it for a couple hundred bucks. And so basically what they're trying to do is they're trying to take some of those, they're trying to decouple some of those commoditized components, decouple them. I'm going to offer them in a digital way at a fraction of the cost. And so now that might be able for in the future, if more and more of these things come out, perhaps instead of relying on a four-year university and having to take all these core classes, if you're a student and you're trying to get through as fast as possible, you might be able to slim that down a little bit more as opposed to going for all four years because you can get your core requirements done in other places. And so that's just one example at the undergrad level, not so much at the MBA, but I do think Perhaps to the point maybe you're making is that there are more options out there for career-minded professionals to learn and grow, and some of them will come through an MBA, and some of them might come through other mechanisms as well. Absolutely, and I think that we're yet to see how what happened this um, last year and, and, and what continues to happen this year with education being forced to go virtual or online, I call it technology-enabled, I think that trends will definitely accelerate and, and we will see further changes. So maybe my my forecast wasn't too wrong. Maybe it was just a little too early. <laughs> sure. Fair enough. Fair enough. So one of the things that's unique about you is you've, you've seen the MBA admissions piece from all sides of the equation in terms of certainly being a student, being at the MBA tour, being an admissions director. I would love for you to put your hat on as an admissions director right now. Walk us through the mindset. Pretend you're an admissions director again. You know, what, what are they doing? What are they thinking? What's keeping them up at night? Give us a sense of this, just so some applicants can feel a little bit of what it's like to be on the other side of that table reading those applications. Oh, to be a fly on the wall at an right. committee right now. Right? I know, I know. <laughs> or, or probably I should say to be a fly on a Zoom screen. Because Fair enough. Sure that, that is more, sure, more appropriate. <laughs> the admissions committee has gone, has gone virtual. But honestly, I've thought a lot about that because I feel that once you've been in the shoes of a head of admission, you never leave that mindset. And back in the day, in my last year, I think, as dean of admissions at BAPS, and I joke with my provost once, he asked me, when do you sleep? And I said, I don't sleep in Q1. What are you talking about? This is round two. <laughs> There's no sleep. But um, anyhow, believe it or not, that application boom that schools are experiencing doesn't come without its challenging uh, challenges. It might seem like a wonderful thing on the surface, and it is. But as a head of admissions, what you're always trying to understand is how to forecast and calibrate so you can get as close you can to enrolling a class that meets your desired characteristics and that's total number of students, but also a class profile. And as cliched as it might be, admissions is definitely an art and a science. 
Admissions directors definitely do rely on historic data to place some bets on what the entire recruiting cycle is going to look like, but also on what candidate behaviors will be, because it's a dual decision up to one point. It's the admissions team that makes the decisions whether or not to admit or wait list for that matter. But then the candidate also starts owning the rest of the decision as to what they're going to do with what's handed to them. So there's really no playbook or or precedent for the combination of circumstances that we're experiencing right now. And that's really hard. We have high unemployment, but it is impacting different sectors differently. It's not uniformly um, spread across everyone. And we have concerns from international candidates about studying in the U.S. And we still have a high level of uncertainty about the degree to which education might return to being in person. So I can only imagine how this set of variables is presenting a huge dilemma for the heads of admissions right now. Will the application increases continue in round three? We don't know. The candidates that we're I'm working with and the candidates that are listening to your podcast right now are hearing how competitive round three is going to be, and they might decide to delay. So there's no guarantee that the increases that schools have seen in rounds one and two will continue. And then how do you reflect this in your admissions and in your scholarship awarding strategy? How do you make sure that you reserve seats and money for an outstanding candidate who might materialize late in the cycle simply because of some situation or or what their unique circumstances might be? And then how do you manage your wait list? Some of the most interesting things that happened in the last um, few months, I think it was absolutely unprecedented when uh, Michigan Ross announced that in round one, they're not going to deny any candidate at all. So they either admitted or waitlisted every single candidate. That has never happened that I know of. I've never heard of, of such decision. I think it's an admirable decision, a very interesting one. But also, when it comes a responsibility, at what point are they going to make decisions on those um, waitlisted candidates so that they have more clarity and and can decide how they're going to move forward? And then there's also what will yield and melt look like? And the answers to all of these questions have um, big implications. If you get your bets wrong, you can not only miss your enrollment targets, and and there are instances where over-enrolled can be just as desirable as under-enrolled, right? And you can completely miss the mark on your scholarship budget. Uh, And let's not forget, all of this is happening in an environment where recruiting and admissions activities have gone almost entirely virtual or online. So the typical yield activities that are starting to happen this time of year that you and I have probably availed ourselves to back when we were admitted students. So the the days when the school hosts the newly admitted students, very often with their families or hosting small get-togethers in key cities where they have large numbers of admits, all these high-touch interaction points that help solidify the commitment of your newly admitted class, they can't happen in person this year. So this is a big challenge. How do you do it? How do you still um, create that buzz and that excitement? And then this, all of this also has um, implications on your strategy for um, the next year and beyond. Uh, one of the hardest things that you have to do as an admissions director 
is convince your dean that you still need to continue to recruit, that just because there is a boom in applications this year doesn't mean that you can relax and let your guard down. So how do you straddle that line between the good news saying, hey, we're 20% up in rounds one and two, but guess what? I still need my marketing budget next year because I don't know what's going to happen. I mentioned MELT earlier, which is the admissions lingo for candidates who make the deposit to be part of the class and then withdraw. So MELT and also requests for a deferral are going to be particularly unpredictable this year because they'll be impacted by candidates' concerns if too much of the education will be delivered online, if they'll be able to get a visa, if they'll be able to get a job. And then even for the domestic candidates, there will be many questions about their decision to ultimately attend. If we start seeing the economy rebound faster, that might actually be a challenging thing for schools. In my last couple of years as dean of admissions at Babson, I used to joke that my biggest competitor is the job market because I would admit a candidate and they would accept. They would deposit and then they would go when the time comes to tell their boss that they're going to business school and their boss would counter offer, give them a promotion, give them a sure. raise, and I would lose that student. So could some of this happen in some sectors? It's entirely possible. So we will have to wait and see. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that and gives us a good look into the life of an admissions director right now. So you gave us a real good look into the life of an admissions director, but could you talk a little bit more? I know that you recently, as you mentioned, you've transitioned into a new uh, role for yourself and a new exciting venture. I would love for you to talk a little bit more about it and you know what you're doing and what you're focused on and what does what the rest of this year look like for you? Thank you for the opportunity to talk about it. I think that as all of us probably did some level of reconciliation last year, some level of assessing our lives, our careers, I think that I did that as well. And what my assessment delivered to me is that the best part of what I've done the last 15 years and the most inspiring is my work with candidates. That what I really love most is empowering them on the way to business school and showing them what's possible. And I realized that in the last few years, I've been doing some really great and exciting things, but I haven't had enough of that interaction with candidates. And, and the more I've moved up um, the career ladder, if you wish, the, the, the less I've actually had of it. So I have been thinking for about a year of what I call scaling down to scale up. And what this really means is I wanted to scale down the amount of time that I dedicate to the complexity of managing an entire enterprise. And I wanted to scale up the amount of time that I was spending working with candidates and my ability to have direct impact on their path. So that's how my MBA path came about. And as I was thinking about what this needs to look like, obviously, I've known MBA admissions consultants for years. I've been involved at Babson. I was involved with AGAC at the MBA tour. We worked very closely with so many um, admissions consultants and test prep companies as partners. So what I also knew from that experience is that maybe about 15% of candidates kind of like truly get some full-fledged admissions consulting help. And I kept wondering, what about the other 85%, right? What about those, just like we we're talking about earlier, people getting education just in time, on demand. What about those who really need a little bit of help? Again, just in time, on demand, not an entire package, but just timely 
expert help. So that's a segment that I'm going after. I am hoping that I can reach the candidates who are doing really well in the application process, but who can use an injection of fizz, if you wish, a little bit of boost, and that I can reach them again just in time. I'm also hoping you asked what my plans are for down the line. I have two goals that I'm still exploring and researching. One is I want to see in what ways I can bring workshops to candidates, ideally in market at some point. So at different key um, geographies around the world where I can bring them together and also leverage their peer power and help them jumpstart their application journey. And then the other part is any admission consultant who doesn't realize that the services that they offer are really expensive, almost a luxury good, uh, is not being honest with themselves. So I'm very aware of that. And I want to explore ways to bring this kind of help to people who need it but can't afford it. Stay tuned because you're going to hear from me with questions about what you know about all this. But to summarize, year ahead, lots of learning, lots of exploration. I'm hoping to speak with a lot of candidates. I'm doing a ton of free consultations right now because that's my market research. (laughs) That is, that's great. And it sounds like you're jumping into full-on entrepreneurship, which is fantastic to hear and see. And I do love the focus that you're thinking about in terms of trying to look for other ways to be able to democratize the MBA admissions guidance to people of all backgrounds, because I look at myself, I'm pretty fortunate in that both my parents got MBAs. And so I knew from a very early age, that could be an opportunity for me, but I'm very much aware that that is a rarity and not everyone has that. And so I you know, really do believe in the power of being able to democratize education. And so I love the fact that you're tr- looking for ways to not only help further that, but also to find ways to access insights, knowledge, and expertise that will help people get to those opportunities. So I'm excited to I'm excited to see what you come up with and certainly excited to to help along the way. Petia, thank you so much for for joining me today and for talking shop. It's it's great to have you on and great to hear some of your experiences, but also some of your thoughts looking forward into the rest of the application season. If people want to engage with you or want to learn more about what you're working on right now, where can they find you? So the easiest way for them to find me is my website, which is mymbapath.com. And my email is listed there. And I'm generally extremely accessible. I respond to all candidate emails personally and promptly. And I'm also very easy to find on LinkedIn. And uh, a name like Patia Whitmore, I guarantee there isn't another one. So people can very easily find me there and connect as well. And Al, thank you for the opportunity. I love talking graduate management education and admission. It, just it never ceases to fascinate me. So I appreciate um, the opportunity to come and join you and share my thoughts. Hi, everyone. LD here. And thank you so much for listening to the MBA Insider Podcast. If you liked what you heard, make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and to write a review. It will only take 15 seconds. I'd also love to hear what you've been listening to on the podcast and any suggestions you have for how we can improve. Find me on LinkedIn or head over to mbaschooled.com backslash podcast.